0: Transitions are hard when you go from a time in his presence to uh to try to shift gears and it 's always the most awkward time um, and sometimes it's really clean today 's one of those i don 't know about you i don't want to leave do you i mean it's like I really believe and this is just we can edit this from the tape. I really believe that some of the stuff i 'm experiencing is on the coattails of what you've been praying for i will i wake up with the lord the holy spirit wakes me up and he just sings in my heart a song and sometimes i've never heard it and so i go on the computer and i'm googling the courses and he, and it's these wonderful worship songs and uh, i was so busy for a time and i didn't get my song a few weeks ago one day and i said lord did i forget to make the payment those of us who are old enough remember the columbia house and you had to make your payments and you got a new album every month and, and quickly the Lord brought a song. Well, today wasn't one of those days. Today was one of those days where I was experiencing this when I woke up. And I and, I know we're not supposed to really exhort you to press in on the 90 days because I really believe the leaders are called to go first. But I'm telling you, you're missing out if you don't enter. And it's not like I've arrived at a level. I just found out that God accepts sinners and he wants to fellowship with them. He's he's got no favoritism. He has different callings and anointing and graces, but he's got no favoritisms. If you are not filled up with the presence of the Lord in your life, it's because you have said no to him, not the other way around. That's reality. If you're not walking in the fullness of God, it's because you said no to him, not him. He's waiting to impart, to give. This is not... We took 10 guys, and and there wasn't a room, and I'm number 11. You want God, say, God, I want you. That's what this whole 90-day thing is all about. With that, there are some things that will block intimacy with God. Here's what I really believe. We are dialoguing early about this. In order for this intimacy to happen, he's got to deal with some stuff. And because he's the lover of our soul... And John 14 talks about him coming back as the bridegroom, and he's going to keep revealing this. In order for this to happen, he wants deeper intimacy, because I can tell things to Kathy and vice versa because of the years we've been related, over 30 years of marriage, probably 31, almost 32 years of relationship, that's different, that she can say things to me differently. God wants to deal with stuff in our life, and I really believe we need to give more space on Sundays, for what we did today. Because when we do that, then you don't mind him coming up. We don't pull back when he starts pointing out stuff. And he finally deals with that little crookedness in your life that you've been saying, oh, God, would you please deliver me? It's not a bad thing. When Dale was here in May, he said real clearly, when God starts to do this stuff, he's not doing it because he's mad at us. There's an incredible blessing. I preach it a lot of different places. It's not the same anointing as that on this house. It's not even the same anointing at Bethel Christian Fellowship, Minneapolis. There's a different anointing here for intimacy with God that I've not seen or experienced in years. Don't miss it. If you're not getting it, go and say, Lord, how do I get this? They're giving out money. I want to get the money. This is more precious. I've been amazed to see how the Lord continues to work and change hearts. Don't miss out on it. That was all free. won't charge you for that when you buy the tape. But we're going through this series, and God's going to start doing dealing with you. And, and let me just say this. Charismatics are really guilty of this. Oh, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord, bless me. More than the blessing, cry out for the transformation that takes place by the renewing of your hearts. Cry out for him. It's not about it's about him, and it's deeper because he is relentless in his pursuit for us, and the more you press against him, the more he's going to creep pressing into you. But here's what I've discovered you can't get away from her, from him. He's not backing off. And he's he's passionate and he's relentless in his pursuit. He is not gonna back off. And so this whole dislodging from our comfortable place where we, God, you're there, he's done with it. Yeah. Enough, yeah. he says. I'm not going to Moses, and then, and then Moses tells you. He's coming after every one of us relentlessly in his pursuit. And some of that, what's stopping it is the, is the, the worship will remove is all these obstacles, all these barriers. They're roadblocks in your life. And I say, let's put ourselves in a posture saying, Lord, whatever you want to deal with, deal with and get it over with, and move on, as I said two weeks ago. And if he doesn't bring it up, don't bring it up. Just keep it back here and hope he doesn't notice. Why not let him work on the things that he wants to work on? Why come up with your list of all the things that are wrong and spend all that time wrestling through it? Why not just say, God, what is this in my life you want to deal with? I won't embarrass, but there was some individual who was telling me when they were just sitting here last week, and there was a reference back to a message that Andrew spoke the Lord just kind of quickened in their hearts and said, oh, yeah, I remember that. And You, you touched that and you brought it up a couple years ago. What's that all about? And so they said, I'm just going to go and ponder. It's not about pointing out in each other's lives. It's not about even pointing our own life. Let him deal with He knows what he's trying to work at. Because some of the stuff you may try to pull out of you is the very character and the nature and the way God made you. Accept that. Today I want to look at Shame. It's one of these things that I have seen liberation. I stood here today overwhelmed with gratefulness to where I was 11 years ago. 11 years ago, I stepped out of this very church. I was on staff. I was in ministry. And out of shame because of a brokenness of my life, because of sin that I made a decision to do, I lost my ministry. I lost my place. And shame came on my life. I dealt with the forgiveness of God. But what I fought with for six or seven years is the shame of that. So this is something I have authority to speak into because God has delivered me and God has liberated me from this. And it is something that is not from God. Guilt he may send as a messenger to kind of convict us. The Holy Spirit's job is to point out it's the devil's job seems to be to cast us into shame. It's not from God. It's not from God. And yet we live in it and we put it, in it and we put let me get no more thing out, out there. Would you quit saying, parents, shame on you? Don't ever say that. Quit putting that stuff on quit putting that stuff on what Well shame on you don't that is the curse as we'll discover. Don't do it. Father, as we spend time in your word today, I'm asking you to open it up and what I love about you, Lord, is the Holy Spirit does such a better job of of instituting change in our lives. Remind us, Lord, as you keep working in our hearts and sowing in our hearts that, that you're coming to these roadblocks and showing us because you want us to change. You want us to change the way we think. You want us to change the direction we're going. Holy Spirit, we put ourselves in a position of saying, you teach us, Lord. Holy Spirit, we'd rather hear from you than Tom. Hmm. Because you alone are the are the comforter sent by the, by the representative of the representative Jesus Christ to lead and guide us into all truth, to show us things, to, to point us of, into areas where we're in sin and convict us of all unrighteousness. Holy Spirit, we want to be changed. You know what's on the other side of these doors waiting for us in our business places, our schools, our neighborhoods, our families. We want to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And all God's people said, Amen. Okay, now get ready for them to do it. The title of my message is Turning from Shame. Now, I'm going to do something I don't rarely do. I've been preaching a lot after from places. I did a whole message. And I actually, this was to a bunch of non-Christians. And the pulpit was over here. And rather than saying, you know what? I'm 53 years old and occasionally I need glasses. I had too much pride. And so I sat there and said, Lord, you're going to have to show me. I can't even read the words of my paper. I keep telling Kathy it's coming. She turns 50 this year. (laughs) Kathy or Ching, have you removed that from the tape? Shame is something that all of us have as humans. I don't know where it comes from. In the Hebrew, it means properly to wound. It means to put to disgrace. It means confusion, dishonor, and reproach. In the Greek... It more deals with a feeling of it. It means to feel shame. It's to, to, to be despised, to entreat shamefully. We've all experienced it. But what we do with it makes a huge difference to how we act out, how we relate to others. And that's the part I want to address today. Let me give you a little different definition of it. Shame is different than guilt. We all feel guilty when we sin or we should. That's a good thing. When we do something wrong, we feel guilty for what we do. But shame is something different. We are ashamed of who we are. Shame is more than internal. That's where we go and pick it up and say, Lord, thanks for pointing out my sin. I'll take it from here. I'll beat myself up. I will be critical to myself. I will put myself down. I will just, just for good measure, I know you forgave me, God, but I'm just going to keep, because I feel so much better if I can just stay in that posture. That is not God. His intention of conviction is that we might turn from it and turn back to him because he's sitting there saying, I don't know why you're gone. I didn't leave. As powerfully was pointed out last week and the story of the prodigal son and the story of the prodigal brother and the prodigal father was always waiting for both of them to return. Nothing changed. No shame. No condemnation. No guilt. Shame is fear-based. It drives us to hide and protect ourselves. It's hardly ever, I have found, very hardly ever, ever a motivation that's helpful. Shame is the discomfort we experience. We don't live up to other people's expectations. It's a sense of worthlessness or inadequacy. Shame has to do with uh, self-disapproval. It's very powerful and it's very destructive. Shame is about embarrassment, humiliation, feeling low. It's about powerlessness. Shame tends to, this is what I hate about in the church, It tends to pull us back and isolate us. That is not a picture of the body of Christ. It shouldn't be happening in this place that we feel shame ever. We should get conviction. We should point out faults in an area of love, as it says in Galatians, with an effort for restoration and, and reminding ourselves that we too could be in that same place. But it is not supposed to be in the house of God. We shouldn't feel it, and yet we do. Shame is a roadblock that must be acknowledged and dealt with. It's dangerous psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually. It can hinder our walk with God. And unless we deal with our shame, it accumulates and it starts to weigh us down contrary to the very life that Jesus talked about in John 10.10, life in abundance, Zoe life. And most of us have never experienced it simply because we bought that package of shame and we put it in our life. The Bible says this, listen, this. Jeremiah 3.25, We lie down in our shame, and our reproach covers us, for we sinned against the Lord, our God, we and our fathers. From our youth even to this day, we have not obeyed the the voice of the Lord, our God. We lie down in our shame, and our reproach covers us. What a sad picture. That's totally different than what what Pastor Ben was trying to exhort us to walk in today. A place of freedom. A place where there's no condemnation. There's a, there's a place where it's like every area we walk, every area we act, everywhere we be, there should be a confidence inside of our hearts because oftentimes i found the devil comes in there and starts pointing out stuff inside of us, and that stops us from doing the very thing God wants us to do. Why buy that package? Why, why do we buy that package? I don't need it anymore. And when that thing finally caught up, this would hit me so hard in worship, there was a freedom, and I said, Oh, God, I remember crying out here in June of two thousand and saying, could I ever be free again? The answer is yes. Open your Bibles to Psalm 32. Psalm 32 was written by David. When, when I stepped out June 2000, there were two passages that came to me. Pastor Jim and Pastor Jim Anderson, Olson and Anderson, were, were starting to put together this restoration team with me, with a lot of other, I, I look back with just incredible favor the Lord had in my life. And putting together people from Focus on the Fan, and H- H.B. London's ministry, and Gordon McDonald. Just God, God blessed our relationship with people who came around us that cared about us and said, we are not going to let you walk away from this. We're going we're to restore your relationship to the Father as a son of his. We're going to restore your relationship because this woman doesn't want to quit. I remember once, I'm gonna real, is this okay? She, one of the greatest things that broke, the, started breaking the shame in my life, I said, Kathy, I've lost it all. At one point, I was one of the leadership with Roland Wells and Leif Erickson and John Quam for the Billy Graham crusade. I was one of the leaders of Promise Keepers. When I I walked out of ministry June of 2000, I was supposed to preach at a conference with Ted Haggard. I was a a big fish in a small pond that was drying up. I realized that when I failed, I took everybody else with me. And this woman, this cotton woman, got face to face with me like this. And she said, your God hasn't given up on you. Your pastor hasn't given up. I'm not giving up on you. That set an emotion, not just to the restoration, but of saying, you don't need to live in the shame anymore because I'm not putting that on you, Tom. So any shame that I was on my life was simply because I refused to look to Jesus Christ and saying, I want not just forgiveness, but I want the freedom that he was talking about today. So if you got shame, I got good news today. God's going to deal with some of this stuff. And he may not deal with it. He may not deal with you coming up here. I just know the way God works. He doesn't embarrass us. He doesn't sit there and talk about, because shame is really somewhat internal. It's kind of like dealing with your colon. Forgive the graphicness of that. God does not, it's important you see that. He does not do that, and that's what we think. We think he's going to come and do uh, internal upper GI work in front of every. He doesn't. He doesn't. That's what the blood of Jesus was all about. He took my shame. Jesus paid it all. No more running around. I love this passage because the two passages that came to me, one was Psalm 32. And I remember Pastor Jim saying, don't ever forget that. And the second one was, he said, Peter, Satan has desired to shift you like, sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And after you return to me, go and strengthen your brother. And Jim Anderson, who's been a mentor in my life and one of the leaders of the associations, I'm in, looked at me and he says, don't ever forget that because that's the calling on your life. You're gonna bring restoration to this brokenness in the world. You're gonna bind up the wounded hearts. You're gonna mend the broken. You'll be a bearer of the breach. And I'm standing here as living testimony today. I've been doing a lot of ministry, been preaching a lot of different places, been on the road a lot, is that the restoration process is there if we submit to it. The shame can be removed. I look, I look as I stand over in front of people and I realize that was the bigger picture that God was talking about today. Katie, the bigger picture is not just your life, it's not just the interns, it's all the other people as Mo and Marla said, whose lives you're going to touch outside of this. But David was a king. He wrote Psalm 32 after he wrote Psalm 51. David had sinned with Bathsheba. He had fallen. He was in a place of utter brokenness. And rather than turn to the Lord, he goes and kills her husband. And then trying to deal with it even more maturely, he goes and hides his sin for a year and doesn't deal with it. Kept putting on a little bit more deodorant. I was in way too, well, enough. I was, I was in a lot of hockey places this last week, and I told Kathy, some of these where you're doing five clinics a day and then uh, uh, two dry lands, so you got these kids, 10 to 17 years old, and these professional hockey players there, they stink. I mean, they really stink. And it's like they, they joked because someone was spraying perfume on himself, and I, or cologne, and I kept thinking, you just need to take a shower. And David, for a year, just kept putting the clone on his life as a king and as a father. And the more you read 2 Samuel 11 and 2 Samuel 12, his whole world gets shattered. One brother kills the other brother because he, he raped his sister. And then, then he raises up and causes his revolt against his father. This whole turmoil. And David, rather than coming in, in, into church metaphorically and said, I've sinned against you, God, like Jeremy was trying to do today, he covered it up with some more cologne for a year until the prophet Nathan comes to him and says, you're the man in 2 Samuel 12, and you've sinned against a holy God. And David was torn to pieces, and he wrote Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51, we see the story of this man coming and saying, how oh God have mercy on me. And then Psalm 32, he writes this instructional passage to say, now I'm going to teach you what I learned in the lesson there. So Psalm 32 really is an instructional psalm where David confessed his sin and received God's forgiveness. David tried to cover it up for a year. And as we'll see in this psalm, eventually the covering up had enough. It, it was like that thing that's in the, in the house and all of a sudden the hotness of the summer kind of brings it out and everyone says something's wrong. There's just something wrong here. Psalm 32, it's a mesquil, it's a a teaching psalm, it's a poet, and the intention is to convey instruction. How many want to be instructed by the Lord today? That's why David wrote this. See, it's not enough for David for us to give him Psalm 51 of him crying out to the Lord and said, don't take your spirit and wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. He said, I've got to go instruct you, because that's what God wants to do. Do you know that? He's not just thinking of you as he That's why it's not, bless me, bless me, Lord. It's, Lord, I need the blessing so that I can be a blessing in others. He wants to do something through you. That's the greatest part about grace. And I'll tell you this about grace. He doesn't have to forgive you. Do you know that? Oh, but I confess, 1 John 1, or 1 John 1, 9, that if I confess my sins, he's just and faithful to forgive my sin and cleanse me of all righteousness. I believe that. I confess that. I stand on that. He doesn't have to do it. He does not have to do that. He does not have to forgive us. He doesn't owe us anything. But the grace of God drives him to say, but I just got to give it. If you've really been forgiven, if you've really done a U-turn, you won't keep doing the same sin again. The grace of God does not cause us to stand there and say, I've asked for forgiveness and you got to forgive me. The grace of God causes us to turn from all ungodliness. Paul says, then what should we do? Sin that this grace much abound? He says, God forbid. He doesn't have to forgive us. And when you realize he does it and he doesn't have to, that's where you recognize what the grace is all about. And that's where you say, because it cost him everything. See, every time you sin, every time you sin, God goes and says, it's like this. It's like he goes and says, we go and we say, put it in our tab. And he says, okay, Jesus, here's another one. And we say, God, I've sinned again. He says, okay, put another one. And here's another one. He's not blowing off your sin. Somebody's got to pay for all these these tickets, metaphorically. And Jesus Christ did it. That's The grace of God is that Jesus keeps taking them all on us. The grace of God, especially as we run through Saturday, is we don't have to show up here every day with a bull and a goat and a ram and a dove. Can you imagine that, Jeremy? Can you imagine having to come in with a cow today, and I only have to come in with a pigeon because I was pretty good this week. The embarrassment... David is writing from that understanding of what God did for him. He didn't have to, but he paid it all. He accepted his sacrifice, removed the curse, removed the shame, and said, David, I'm not done. Because if you follow it from Second Samuel 12 all the way through the rest of the book of Revelation, you'll see the number of times that David's, that David's name is mentioned, and God says, that's one of my own. Even today as we read this, the grace of God is that this man enables us to learn from his mistakes and do it differently. God is good. You ready now? I was just waiting because some of you are saying, Psalms, where's Psalms at? <clears throat> I'm just kidding. You. Blessed is, the, is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, whose sin is forgiven, whose sin is lifted off of my shoulders, whose crime and, and offense is no longer the stench to the nostrils of a holy God. It's no longer... As far as God's concerned, an issue. He not only removes it from the far as the east is from the west, but if you chase east, you'll never get west. You will never arrive at west as long as you're going east. Never. That's the grace of God. Verse two. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whom spirit there is no guile, to whom the Lord doesn't charge accountability for the Lord for the sin. He's not standing every time you walk in the throne room and saying, you sinned against me. When are you going to pay this debt? David is saying, is blessed to be in that condition where the Lord doesn't even charge us. He, just for good measure, he doesn't bring it up and say, well, Sarah, I just want you to let us remind you, Sarah, that, that I forgave you. He doesn't even bring it up. It's gone. It's removed. As far as the east to the west, he remembers our transgressions. No more, he writes about. David writes about in Psalm 103 ever ready to forgive us, ever ready to pardon. Verses 1 and 2, David recognizes that. He cried out to God in Psalm 51, and God answered his prayer, restored his spirit, and David was grateful. I hope you're becoming more and more grateful for the cross of Jesus Christ. I heard a message in 1995. I didn't understand until I went through my whole restoration process. A message that some pastors up at Blaine, he said, said, you never know the love of the Father until you've sinned. Oh, what a bizarre thing. It was a man who was removed from ministry, and I never understood that. It was a broken man saying, I never understood how, gr- how good the cross of Jesus Christ was. I'm telling you this, repeating this man's words. You'll never know how good the grace of God is until you recognize your own sinfulness and what he did. I hope you're becoming grateful for the cross. I've got news for you. Without Jesus Christ, we all deserve hell. We'll always deserve hell. You and I will always deserve hell. But by the grace of God, we're not going to hell. So when we come in here freely, it's more than just that we have freedom because the United States government gives us. We have freedom because Jesus Christ did. We walk in and he doesn't doesn't sit there and say, where's the bulls and goats? He sees nothing but the blood of Jesus over our life. And then he takes a step further and washes us white as snow. And David is writing about that in verse verse 1 and 2. Then he starts getting into the meat of what was going on in his life. Verse 3. For when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. David is saying, for one whole year, I kept silence. I failed to confess my sin, and shame was my reward. For one whole year, it got to the point that the bones began to decay with weakness, and the shame was so intense, David was saying, it affected my health, my vital energy. It affected, it took my words away, and all I could do was groan. That is the destructive power when we do not respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit to turn from an area. He doesn't let up. You know why? Because he loves us too much to leave us that way. When you said, Jesus, you are my Lord, he took you serious. And he's not backing off. And that's a good thing. That's not a... It's not. It's a good thing. How many here have defects in their bodies physically? I'm not to embarrass you. That you would love if this surgeon would walk in here and say, We're going to fix that, and I'm the world's best, and I'm not going to charge you for it. And we're going to do it in such a great way that the recovery time is there. We're going to cover your bills. We're going to cover your job. We're going to cover your health. We're going to take care of it. That's what the Lord is offering you. I'm signing up. And Lord, just for good measure, show me the things I can't see in the back. David is saying, for one year I kept silent, and the end results of me not dealing with that grew into shame And the shame of that brought me to the place of utter destruction and lack of vitality. And listen, I kept silent. My bones grew old. Bad enough, you're chronological. The bones grew old. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality turned into the droughts of summer. Stop. Pause. David is saying, ponder what I just wrote. Think about it, oh, listener, he said. Selah, stop. I'm in a place of being blessed, verse 1 and 2, but I wasn't there because verse 3 and 4, I did not acknowledge my sin. I had not dealt with it, and it was destroying me. Some of you people are being destroyed. I pastored at too many churches to see people come in. I keep thinking, go to Jesus. You don't have to live that way. Well, you don't know what I did five years ago. I don't care, and neither does God from as far. I mean, I don't know how to use this, very limited vocabulary. He cares passionately, but as far as he's concerned, there's a way out, so go we'll deal with it. I just want to be with you, he says. You want to worship God? He wants to be with you. But he says, David says, Stop and think about what I just said. Verse five. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity was not hovered. I said, I will go and confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave my iniquity, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Stop, Selah. David said, finally, I couldn't handle it. Enough of the games, enough of the shame. I can't breathe, God. I've got to go to you. God, I need to breathe again. Anyone ever been in that place where the sin is so deep in your life you can't breathe? And you keep thinking, I can't go anywhere. I can't tell anybody. I can't. I remember getting to that point of just saying, it was a liberating thing for sin to be exposed. For me, it was liberating. It set off a course of incredible embarrassment and shame in my life. But it was liberating when the Lord says, that's dealt with. On this day, I dealt with it with you, Lord. David confessed his sins. He did, listen to this, he didn't confess his sins to man, but openly to God. That's the one. I've sinned against a holy God, so that's the one I need to deal with. I know it says confess your sins one and the other that we might have received. But first and foremost, it's got to be to God. And together with someone else, it's got to be to God. It's not going to say, well, I told Stan. You didn't sin against Stan. David's saying the one I sinned against was him. He's the one I've got to deal with. You want to get rid of the shame and the remorse and all that stuff? Deal with the one who you offended. Matthew 18, Jesus here says, when you sin, go to the one who you offended. So if someone offends you, he says, go to that person. You know what I'm saying? The Spirit. So if you have offended God, go to God. David said, The word I'll put it this way. The word in the Hebrew there, yada, is kind of the image of wringing of hands. It's kind of this thing of remorse and brokenness. If you go and say, yeah, God, you know, I heard about you. You're quick to pardon. Uh, what did I, oh, here you go, God. Take care of this bill for me. You've missed the point of it. There should be brokenness. You can't work that up. There, if it's generally from God, there's, a, there's a, a bemoaning, kind of a ringing of hands David was trying to explain. There was something going on in his heart. And you know what that leads to? That leads to saying this. Oh, God, I don't want to ever do that again. How, how, do I, how do I prevent from this ever happening again? Rather than, whoop, got away with another one. Thanks, God. Thanks for covering me. I feel pretty good now. David is talking about this confessing with an attitude of kind of contriteness, a brokenness, a thing of saying, God, I, I know I offended you. It affected everybody else. I don't want to ever go through this again. It's an acknowledgement of a sin with repentance. It's true regret for what took place, and it includes an intent to change. You are powerless to change. I'll give you that heads up right now. You can't do it. But through Our God, we will be valiant, it says. I can do all things through Christ, through strength. Through Christ, you'll get through. Through Christ, you can change. Through him, he can transform you. Not on your own efforts. I'm going to try harder, God. You know when most people fail in the New Year's resolution? January 2nd. Because it's our own effort. But real transformation, real change takes place when we come in an attitude of, Lord, I don't want to do this again. Show me how to do it. And God forgave David's sin and took away the, the iniquity of it. And he comes to, again, another point. I, I've looked, Three times you'll see this in the psalm. Three times he says, stop. Don't, don't just run over what I just said, he's saying. Stop and think about what I said. Pause. I know it's in a musical note to the instructors, to the worship leader and all that, but he's saying three times in the psalm, you need to stop and think about what I just said. So I encourage you to go home and meditate on it. Verse 6. For this cause, what cause? When David acknowledges his sin in verse 5, and you forgave my sins, verse 6. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you. In a time when they may be found, and you may be found, surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. The first half of it implies that those who want to have God in character and fellowship are the ones who seek him. I'll say it again. If you're not in a relationship with God, it's not on, on his part. He has no respecter of persons. None. I'm amazed at some of the people he lets in his company. That's what really bothered the Pharisees is that Jesus was hanging ones with people like us. If you don't have intimacy with God, it's not on his part. He's waiting for you to say, Lord, that's what I want. I don't even know what I'm asking, Lord, but that's what I want. The Hebrew there for godly talks kind of about mercy and kindness. He's trying to compare the character of God versus the character of man. In the second half, he speaks about the provision when we seek him. His provision and protection for his servants can be dependent on even when the floodwaters are rising, David said. Again, when we are right, it doesn't matter whether the floodwaters are rising or there's dryness in our hearts, God can be faithful. God will be faithful, and God has always been faithful. Verse 7. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from times of trouble. You shall deliver me with songs of deliverance. Stop. Again, pause. Think about what I just said, he's saying. David has this confidence of God's protection and preservation. In the midst of anguish, in the midst of affliction, in the midst of distress, in the midst of sorrow or trouble, you can't see what's going on, with, especially when your eyes are blind with shame. You really can't see the bigger picture. You're only thinking of yourself and what you did, and so you do these elaborate schemes and plans like David did to cover up instead of stopping and saying, this thing is blinding me. I can't see you, God, anymore. I can't can't hear you. And David in the middle of this says, God, you surround me when I'm right with you with songs of deliverance. You don't let me stay in that place of brokenness. You don't let me stay in that orphan spirit. You don't let me stay in that place of unprotection. You keep taking me out of this and saying, come out of the horrible pit. You don't need to stay there. David's confidence is his salvation is in the Lord. Verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. That talks about deep intimacy. I'm not going to pull... the. The God of the universe, the one that created David, is saying this to him. I I don't want to put a steering wheel on your heart to turn you. I don't want to put bit and bridle to pull you back, to curb your spirit. That's not my intention. That's not what I think about. I, I don't want to do that to you. David is saying the relationship's been stored. Time to give the wisdom so the sin is not repeated. God is saying, I'm going to teach you. I will instruct you. I will guide you. Instruction is, is a lot about teaching, but it means to make you to understand in the Hebrew. I will make you to understand. I'll give you a reason for what I'm doing. Don't you love that? I was watching with some of these skilled competition from the kids, and it was like they couldn't make a connection from the skill we just did to the game they're doing. Get off the ice. Remember that skill we taught you how to get back up real quickly? God says, when I give you instruction, when I give you counsel, when I give you direction, I want to do it in a purpose to make you understand. He also says to teach. The word refers to taking aim. In other words, there's a specific purpose for what I'm doing when I, when I teach you, when I instruct you, when I guide you. There's a reason for it. I've got an aim. I've got a direction. I'm not just haphazardly pointing out Todd Ponko's sins. I know God wants to use Todd Ponko, and he wants to make him a vessel, so I'm going to teach him and instruct him, guide him There's a pointed direction. You know what that is? Every life that Todd touches. And that's why he's dealing with the sin of Todd Ponko today. Guide means to consult. It means counselor. One of my favorite terms for the Holy Spirit is counselor. I will be your instructor, I will be your teacher, and I'll be your counselor. Verse 9. This is my favorite passage of Scripture. Don't be like the horse or like the mule which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, or else they won't come near you. God is telling David, please don't be unteachable. Could, Could you... Could we stop this fighting? Could we stop this jostling and jockeying for position? Would, would, you, would you harness that, that warrior spirit that's in you, David? Would, would you get to the place where, I don't know if you realize this, I'm not an, an agrarian person, but when I understand you can't reason with a horse or a mule, they don't have understanding. It's their way or else. In order to get to there, you have to break them down. You have to realize you're the one in authority. You have to crush their spirit, and God is saying, I don't want to have that kind of relationship, where I have to keep smashing you down and, and strapping you with something that I pull you direction. I want intimacy. I want to guide you with my eye. I love that picture. God just kind of winking. Um, is Pastor Carol here? Yeah. Pastor Jim always says this. Whenever he says, or actually it's more of Dale, will say something and just kind of looks at Carol and she gives him the eye and he says, I know what that means. And he goes a different direction. That's intimacy. That's relationship. That says, I trust, I trust you speaking into my life that you can just kind of give me the eye and I go and say, I'm going to go a different direction, Lord. God is saying, that's the relationship. I, I don't want you to be like a trained horse. I don't want you to have a robotic relationship with me. Kathy, when I come home at night and I say jump, you jump. God doesn't want that kind of relationship. He wants you just to turn because he's he's got you in a place that you're just waiting to move. You're fluid with him. You're waiting for his Holy Spirit. And that only can come in spending time with him in intimacy and relationship. Because you find out that God is not about to hurt you. He's about to get deeper in relationship. He wants us to respond because we choose to respond to his love and faithfulness. Verse 10, pretty simple instruction. Many a sorrow shall wait, shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. In case you didn't catch that, if you want sorrow, then be wicked. It's it's really simple. Dave, I love this instruction. It, It just goes over the heads of most adults. The wicked reap the consequences of their actions. Paul wrote and says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. Pretty simple. And yet, for some reason, we find ourselves in the middle of chaos, and we find ourselves in the middle of a mess and saying, how did I get there? You want to be wicked. Keep doing what you're doing. This is not how God wants us to live, however. God wants to give us instruction. One of the side effects, then, if you choose to to go and be one of the, the wicked people, you're going to get shame. Again, not how God wants you to live, because the enemy is just waiting. You ever notice this? He cons you into it, then you do it, and he makes you feel bad you did it, and then he shamefully reminds you over and over again that you gave into something he set up before you. That's not God's will. It's not his plan. His purpose is to forgive us. That's why Jesus Christ died. He wishes that none should perish, but all have eternal life. He went and says, this isn't working out the way you guys are trying to deal with this. so I'm going to pay the ultimate payment so that you don't have to deal with us again. The only thing I ask is you confess your sin, acknowledge that I am both Savior and Lord. That's all I ask. But do it in a posture of willingness, not a posture of, I'm coming down, I'm going to strike you. That's not God. The other part of that simple instruction that David gives in verse 10 is this. If you want mercy, trust in the Lord. Those who trust in the Lord can expect to experience God's kindness and favor to carry them into a place of deliverance. It says that no no temptation has tempted us except for that which is common to everyone. But in every situation, God provides a way out. Even when we are tempted, if we know the Lord and we're following the Lord, we can expect that he's going to show us how to get out of this mess. And then when we get ourselves into the mess, we can have a confidence of knowing that our Savior is our deliverer, our redeemer, our kinsman redeemer, is going to continue to take us out of those places of brokenness. And that's what he's saying in verse 10. This is how God wants us to live. And then he ends it as a typical David psalm. This is actually not a typical. Usually David says, Think, 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 everyone hates me. I feel bad. And then he points his affection to the Lord. He starts off blessing the Lord and he ends with blessing the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy upright in heart. David ends the psalm recognizing what Paul wrote. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him because that righteousness comes from him alone. Oh, I'm not righteous. I can't. Really. Did, did Jesus become sin for us? Yes or no? Then, if he did, then he made us the righteousness of Christ. Not our own righteousness, the righteousness of God in Christ. Psalm 32, unfortunately, doesn't have a five-step shortcut or easy formula. I wish it did. It doesn't work out that way. Gene Ramplett said this earlier this morning. And then, and then, I think somebody else said it because we looked at each other. Somebody else said it. It's only going to come as we spend time with him. It comes in worshiping him. Worship means to bow down before him. It's not just recognizing what he did for you. It's, it's recognizing who he is. And in recognition of the who he is, we also recognize he has the power to get us out of the mess. It's a confidence in saying, God, I can't fix this thing, but you alone can. But it's also confidence in saying, here's the cool thing. I know you can fix it. I get calls from my kids, and oftentimes they start off like this. Hi, which means, translate I don't know what you're doing right now, but set everything aside. What are you doing right now? It comes. They know they can confidently come to me to ask them to fix a problem, to solve a crisis, to prepare something or to mend something. That's what God wants us to have. Hi, what are you doing right now, God? I got this issue I want to deal with in my life. David had to come clean. If we want God's forgiveness, David gives us this great example in Psalm 51 and 32. You have to come clean before God in his presence. We have to face the consequences of the sin. And that's what David said, I acknowledge my sinfulness and you dealt with it. Our part is to agree with him. That's what confession means. It's to agree with what he calls sin. And so if you don't do it, the, the side effects, the damnation that comes is shame. And you live in it, and some people... Don't see it on you until they get really close and then it's like something's wrong with that person. And really it's just the shame of, of their own sinfulness or shame that somebody else put on them instead of just letting them be forgiven. The alternative to confession of sin is shame and misery. I, I would rather take David's life, David's example, and apply the lessons that he's trying to teach us in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 to my life every day. God will never reject anyone who comes in true repentance and a desire for restored fellowship. Never. Isaiah 61, 7 says this, instead of shame, you will receive double honor. Isn't that good? Instead of shame, I will forgive you. That's good. Instead of shame, I'll let you come into the banquet hall. Instead of shame, I will make you feel good. Instead of shame, it says you shall have double honor. Instead of Confusion, you shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, the land they shall possess shall be double. Everlasting joy will be theirs. That's good news. That's what we're saying. We're exchanging our sorrows. That's why we're singing some of the songs we sing today. I listen to the songs and I keep thinking, God, you're really good, preparing the hearts because I don't give them a whole lot of instruction because I just I love to see what the worship comes up with. In fact, worship team, come on up here. As I said earlier. God will convict you of the sins you need to confess. But simulcast with this, the enemy also, Satan, will accuse you of sin that God has already forgiven you of. You ever know us ever dealt with that? Jeremy was sharing earlier. God dealt with something in your life, and the enemy brings it up again. Amen? That's not God. One of the greatest passages I got that just sparked something in my soul, this was a pivotal scripture that caused me to say, I don't have to take it anymore. Listen to this. Write this one down. Micah 7, 7 to 10. Shame is from the enemy, not from God. You know that your sin is none of the devil's business? Why are you talking to him about it? It's none of his business. Jesus Christ paid it all. Micah 7, 7 to 10. Therefore, I'll look to the Lord. I'll wait for the God of my salvation, and my God will hear me. Don't rejoice over me, my enemy. He's now talking to the devil. Don't rejoice over me, the enemy, when I fall. I will arise. If I'm in darkness, God will be a light for me. I will bear the indication of the Lord because I've sinned against him, not you, Mr. Devil. It's none of your business. (laughs) Why, why, Why are you letting him bring that package of shame to you? It's not his concern. Let me ask you a real simple theological question. Did the devil die for you? Then why are you having this discussion, letting him bring shame and bringing condemnation for something God's forgiven you for? Listen to this. I will bear the indication of the Lord because I've sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes justice for me. I love that. He will bring me forth in the light and I will see his righteousness. This is really good. When she who is my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, where's your Lord, your God? My eyes will look and she'll be trampled down like mud in the the streets. Now some of you, the, the the Again, the damnation that I don't like about shame is it puts you into a place where, where, where it's like you're in hell. And you say, well, I don't really believe in hell. But, but it is. It's like a living hell for some people. Shame can be. There is a real place called hell in Hades. The Bible's got over 67 references to hell or Hades, the place of the condemned. No human mind has been ever been able to comprehend what that place is like. Men and women have lost their souls, and they've lost control of their wills, and they've lost control of their minds. They've they're lost control, man. They're conscious and aware, but they're very much out of control. The worst drug trip in the world you've ever seen is not, a, is not a drop in the bucket to what these people live in day and night. And you can equate that with shame, not what God intended. The screams from that raging can be heard, it says in 2 Thessalonians 2.12. Throughout all of eternity, it's the region of the dam. It's loud and it's deafening down there, where people are tormented night and day and night and day, pain and sickness and disease that never goes away. It's a constant fear of falling. It's called a bottomless pit in Revelation 9. Because myriads of demons dwell in that place. It's not the place that God wanted man to be. Neither is shame. They dwell in that place because there are wicked spirits that have been in there and they're doing battle with men's souls, locked and chained into hell. It's a horrible, horrible pit. You want some joy? Jesus has blotted out your sins. You don't have to live in that kind of place. Because Jesus Christ has come through, we don't have to live in a place of brokenness and destruction and dis- this despair that the shame has done. It's time for us to say, enough. Confess your sins, and it says that he will remove your sins, and then there's no shame that follows. It's time, Bethel Christian Fellowship. It's time, Bethel Christian Fellowship. It's time, Bethel Christian Fellowship, for us to say, that's not going to be allowed in my life anymore. Because I'll tell you the bad thing what it does. Kathy, it really separated us for a lot of years. Here's this woman that just said, again, nose to nose, I just want to be with you, Tom. Who did I sin against? It was this woman. And this very one, for the grace of God, says, don't push me away. And my shame, I kept pushing her away. And I said, but you must not really know what I do. And she, says, she said this, I don't even care what you did. I just know this, I want a relationship with you. She modeled the Father's love for me. She modeled the living God's love to me and saying, "It doesn't matter to me. If you've confessed your sin, don't let the enemy bring that shame in your life. Because in the process, I know there's some of you who in this church, I know I've kept at a distance for years. And it wasn't because I didn't like you. It's because of my own shame. If they ever knew, God knows and he's dealt with it and removed it far as east and west. Amen? I want Dave to lead us in the song along with everybody else. To me, it speaks about the freedom. Then I'm, I'm going to pray and release you. I just exhort you Don't walk away from this message As David gave us three pauses Say, Lord, what are the areas? Where are the places? Some of you may want to come up front and get prayer That's great Some of you may want to get prayer where you are Some of you may just want to just say Shut up, Tom, I want to deal with it now Thank you, Lord Was this helpful? Tell him a little passionate about getting a little shame off your life I wasted too many years. Don't waste another moment. It's not worth it. Some of you here today have never accepted Jesus Christ. It's such a strange statement to say I've accepted Jesus Christ. I've accepted. But you've never dealt with that area in your life. And if you die tonight, I'm going to tell you this. You're not going to heaven. You're going to hell. Deal with it. Jesus Christ has made a way. He's longing for you to come and respond to that. Deal with it. Some of you today are, are still carrying around the baggage of the sin that you did this last week. Don't leave this place without going to someone and saying, I want to deal with it. Just because the rest of us go out because we've got other things to do, deal with it with God. And then lastly, some of you still are just carrying way too much stuff. There's power in prayer. There's power as we come together in agreement. Find somebody and say, I just need prayer. Father, I just thank you. You are always thinking the best of us exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever think or imagine. We thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. That Jesus, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. This day, this day, Lord, you were thinking of. You were willing to pay that we didn't have to walk around the bondages of sin. and You were willing to pay so we came to those roadblocks, we, we could turn and go a different direction. We just thank you. Father, I pray that you would, would bless your people. With the grace and an ability to respond to your word. We pray against spirit of condemnation and judgment and criticism. Father, bless your people. We want to be the people that receive double portion instead of shame. And it's in Jesus' name I say, pray. Amen.